0: Welcome to the School Food Rocks podcast, a platform where we will discuss all things school food related and how we can improve school food on a national level. This is the School Food Rocks podcast. All right, welcome back to the School Food Rocks podcast. This is your host, Joe Urban, and the director of the Greenville County Schools Food Nutrition Services in beautiful upstate South Carolina. Uh, joining me as co-host today, for the first time I've ever had a co-host, actually, is going to be Lauren Kushwa, our culinary specialist here in Greenville County Schools. She was also our first ever podcast guest, and to date, uh, her downloads have uh, exceeded every other guest we've had in this show. So good luck to everybody on here, because chasing her downloads is going to be tough. She did such a great job and was such a great guest that I thought I needed to bring her in as a, as a co-host from time to time because she offers a lot of uh, insights and, and uh, viewpoints that are different than mine and I need that. Um, before we get started today, uh want to make one thing very, very clear. Uh, we talked about having a lot of industry folks on this podcast because i think that's important whether they're from the distribution side whether they're from the broker side or the manufacturer side or other individuals that in one way or another sell products or services to school food service programs throughout the country Um, we will never endorse any individual on this program we bring people on here who we think are interesting and going to bring value to us and our listeners, but we do not take any paid endorsements. So when we do have these individuals on, we are not endorsing their product. Uh, we think highly enough of them to have them on this show, and because we we know they they're going to bring some great insights for us. But this is in no way going to be any kind of any kind of endorsement for um, our guest today. All right. That being said, today we're going to talk about something that I think is. Heavily on the minds of people throughout this country in our industry, um, COVID was very, very difficult. You know, navigating through those challenges, um, supply chain, distribution issues—it was just crazy, 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 crazy. You know, now that we're we're out of COVID, I think most people in the country believe, hey, you know, stores are are stocked pretty well again. For the most part, we can we can get all the the food and supplies we need at home. So surely schools aren't suffering anymore, and that's that's really not the case. You know, one of the most difficult challenges we have faced over these three years has been those food and supply chain issues, and you know they've always played a small part in our business, uh, but they really have been tremendously more difficult uh, since the beginning of COVID, and as we've gotten through this pandemic craziness. You know, although they have improved, the pandemic really wreaked havoc on manufacturers and distributors, forcing them to rethink how they can operate efficiently and profitably in today's climate. Um, Most of them have had to change their business model. It has been uh, very, very interesting in this industry. Um, Things have changed, like I said, even though uh, Supply chain has really, really improved significantly. Uh, Manufacturers and distributors specifically have really had to rethink their business and um, they operate very, very differently than they did before. Now, we were very fortunate in Greenville to have incredible partnerships with our, uh, with manufacturers and distributors when COVID hit. And because of that, we were able to really navigate through that crisis. You know, we struggled. We had to modify our menus and, you know, Make changes on the fly, but we were really, really able to get through that because we had great communication. Um, Greenville got through that event as well as we could at that time. But really, supply chain issues continue to be a, an issue for for a lot of reasons, and a lot of it has to do with distribution and manufacturing. And we're going to talk about that today with our guests. So on today's episode of the podcast. Lauren, Kuchwa, uh, and I are going to be talking with Candace Rosado. Candace is the K-12 director for Food Sales East in Florida. Food Sales East is a Southeast region company and a part of the Sales One National Group of Independent Brokers. Candace has been in the K-12 industry for eight years and has had prior experience in both broadline distribution, the commercial segment and restaurant management. She's going to bring to us a wealth of information from the perspective of a K-12 broker and from her past experience into the broadline distribution industry challenges. I think we're going to probably delve into some of the potential federal regulation changes and how that's going to impact us as well. So um, without further ado, let's go. All right, guys, we got Candice Rosado on the School Food Rocks podcast. Candice, thanks for joining me and Lauren today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Outstanding. How's Florida weather today?
1: Um, it is pretty f- Florida out, about a six inches of sun um, with a chance of no breeze.
0: Oh, wow. I mean, that's horrible. That's horrible. I feel bad for you. Um, but so, you know, somebody's got to take care of our people down there. So I, good for you I for taking that. a bullet for everybody. Uh, we're excited about today's podcast. We're going to talk a lot of about a lot of things, and you're actually the first non-school district person on this podcast at this point. We've had principals on, we've had maintenance supervisors on, uh, a lot of my staff on. We have um, uh, had directors of another district on, and they, you know, I think it's been good so far, uh, giving our listeners really an insight into what, what happens on the inside from, from our perspective, but there's some big challenges out there um, these days post COVID and um, mainly surrounding supply chain and distribution issues. And hopefully uh, you're going to help us today understand and how, how districts can navigate that. So um, first and foremost, just let our listeners know who Candace Rosado is and what your background is and uh, what, what you do in your current role.
1: Yeah, so um, I am a K twelve broker for in the um, sorry southeast based company. I work in the state of Florida. I have been in K twelve for eight years. Um, one of my favorite things to say is, I the last place I should have ended up was selling school lunch food to school districts. Um, I grew up in a small town on Long Island. Our district was so small; it was kindergarten through twelfth in one school. Uh, And that was the entire school district. So as such, we didn't have hot lunch. We had vending machines. Um, Fast forward from there, I went to fashion school to go for fashion merchandising. As I had bartended my way through college, I got a job in a corporate restaurant. And when they offered me a management position, I realized that the starting pay to run a restaurant was probably about double what it was to be a buyer in the fashion industry. So... I kind of ended up in food service from there, um, managed restaurants for Dave and Buster's, was the corporation actually, and uh, spent some time with them. I was a corporate trainer, um, went into management in New York, worked at several stores, and kind of got cold one day and decided I was going to move to Florida for a little while. Hmm. Um, sad which news is exactly- recently about
0: Dave and Buster's too. Yeah, that is Very
1: sad. Very sad. Very sad. Very sad. Um, Buster was, he was the people person, Not one of the nicest guys you would ever meet, cared about everybody. Um, you know, top, top line. And you would see him sweeping the floor in a restaurant. And it took so much value out of that mentality that, um, that I still carry with my career today. Uh, no one's above any job in, in any establishment. Um, reach, but yeah, that was, yeah, it was really sad.
0: I never, um, I never got the pleasure of meeting him, but I I know a number of people who, who knew him pretty well. And they've all said, yeah. what, a, what a huge loss for humanity.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yep. So um, from there, I ran into somebody I had grown up with in New York down here in Florida. And she was working for a food distributor at the time. And we were just kind of chit-chatting about it. And she was like, you know, you should, you should do that. She was like, you'd be really good at it. I didn't think anything of it. Um, fast forward again, I had a baby and was working nights and weekends. There were times I would come home at 4 a.m. and the baby would be up at seven, so not the best environment, uh, working environment for a new mother. So I circled back to my conversation with her and ended up applying for a job in distribution. So I worked with a broadline distributor for about four years. Um, and I was in the street segment, the commercial segment sold to restaurants, country clubs. We had a non-commercial division. I knew that that was that group of people that sat over there. They did schools and healthcare and it was really terrifying, right? They deal with government regulations and bids and they're always busy. And, and, you know, it was just, that's great. You're non-com, you stay over there. I want nothing to do with that. Very intimidating segment. So when I did end up in K-12 as a broker, it was entirely by default um, because it was really the only position that was available. And one thing that really stands out was that my mentor, the person who hired me, did have me call several people on his team in several states um, because he really wanted to make sure that I would like the job And be good for the job as much as he wanted me. Um, And everybody said the same thing that stood out. And they said, it is the best kept secret in the food service business is K-12. And it is 110% accurate. Um, I like to, I'm often heard saying that um, I fell into K-12 by default and I would never go back. I also say that I never say never. But... As it goes, I have no desire to go back to the other segment. I absolutely love what we do. I love being a part of what you guys do every day. Um, it's such purpose. It's such meaning. And we truly have the best customers in food service,
2: I believe. Hey, Candice, can um, I ask you a question? Yes, ma'am. You're talking about somebody who you know wanted you to come to this side. Was that when you went to work for Acosta? It sure was. Okay, so here's a, a little blurb into this. That was at the exact same time that that same gentleman who approached you, who if we can mention or not, but I'm very fond of him. He's He was actually somebody <laughs> who knew me as a child and worked with my dad. And then I came to found, find out later, I was like, oh my gosh, Like he saw me as a baby. So here we are in K-12, and this was, what, eight years ago or so, and um, my husband was looking to make a switch, and we were in conversations with Acosta of him coming on board for the team, and he lost the job to you. I don't know if you ever knew that 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 happened. I
1: did not. I knew (laughs) that you'd known Ken, and he knew your dad, and I... The second part of that, I had no idea.
2: So yeah, so Ken is just an amazing person. And, uh, and you know, it was one of those things that I remember when Kyle didn't get the job. I was like, whoever he brings on better be pretty freaking cool. <laughs> Dude,
0: change my diapers. I
2: mean, <laughs> Ken, what are you thinking here? This is my husband. And then it was Candace. And I was like, all right, she's pretty cool. All right, I guess but, she can have But that. you
0: know what? If you would have got that job, the chances of you being here today, Lauren, would be... Nice. Oh, there's
2: so many things. Oh, Candace yeah. is amazing, first yeah. off, and totally way, way more meant for that role in that you had and that you now have. Um, but yeah, I remember that at the time. And you know what, Candace? I actually forgot about it because we've truly become friends in the past eight years. And uh, at first I was like, all right, who's this woman coming in? She stole my man's
0: <laughs> job. Right?
2: You're looking at <laughs> Shanky when you walk through the door. Uh. And then I was like, oh, "All right, she's kind of cool. Oh, all right, we kind of yeah, maybe we could hang. Oh, hey, let's plan a New York City trip together. All right, that sounds good."
0: <laughs> you know. Well, one thing I learned about so Candace—you've known her a lot longer than I—but if if you're ever thinking about shanking her, oh no, <laughs> you better come correct because she strikes first. <laughs> <Right>.
1: <laughs> but in no fairness, Lauren was pregnant at that time, and mm, she you took probably food could out of her
0: baby's me. mouth by taking that yeah. job. You know yeah. that, right? She, she could she
1: could have taken me down. So another fun fact is that Lauren was actually my first sales call. Oh no way. I like didn't know yeah, that. alone it was yep, yep, it was you guys. Yep, my first sales call by myself. And um in brokerage and in K12 cuz that that was both of those roles
0: were new for me. So you got so. a new job and your first thought job. was, boy, Florida's huge. You're right. <laughs> Let me drive way down to Lee County. Call Absolutely. on the pregnant lady who I stole her husband's job. Genius move. Yes,
2: you know. Genius. I mean, already you kind of started off this podcast saying the last place I should have ended up was K twelve. You're really selling yourself here yeah. so far. <laughs> I am. I but know. Uh, I mean, am. it truly though. We love you. We think very, very highly of you, and I think it speaks volumes that we were your first sales call. And I got to tell you, you walking through the door is like, I don't think I'm listening to this, you know, <laughs> let's see what she's got. Yeah. And then and you're very, very good. And I think a lot of it speaks towards, I have a real issue, um, you know, and I think that this is probably across the board, people working with other people in sales, is that it's hard to know where the truth lies and they are trying to sell to make money, right? And one of the things right. I appreciate the most about you is you don't, there is no line like that for you. You're just truthful first and it builds a lot of confidence and trust with the people you're selling to to reach out to you when we may have issues or we're unsure of something and or when you're bringing a new product in that we've never seen that we really truly listen to those that we trust and you're top notch on that for me.
0: Yeah and and your industry Candice the brokers is, is very interesting and um, you guys tend to move around a lot from one brokerage firm to another and um, what I, what I like about you is you never badmouth mouth anybody. You're mm-hmm. like, Here's my products. Here's what we're selling. I think this would be good for your program or not, but you'll never say my burgers better than somebody else's burger. Their burgers trash. And you know, that that's not the case for a lot of people who, in my experience who've come to call on me and I would warn them, you know, pretty early once I realized that, that brokers tend to move from one firm to another, like, Dude, you're bad-mouthing somebody to me right now. It's really not good business practice, number one. I mean, sell your product. Tell me, tell me why your product is good but not why somebody else's is, is crap. But don't forget, there's probably a 30% chance that that one day you're going to be working for that firm. Then you're going to have to come back here and try to tell me why that burger is good now. So um, for, all, yeah. for all our brokers out there, don't do that. Just <laughs> sell your that. stuff. Don't knock They're somebody else. That.
1: And you don't even have to leave your job for that to happen. You know, the biggest joke when when we're handing out our line cards is that, you know, uh, they say this changes before the ink dries. And it is absolutely true. It's just an ever-changing business. Um, And I say that to a lot of people all the time. Whatever you do, do not burn a bridge because this and especially the K-12 industry is so small. Mm -hmm. Um, It's so small and it's constantly moving around. So
0: all right, well, I want to get into some real stuff here. Let's let's what I think one of the the largest issues in facing school food programs these days seems to be on the distribution side. Um I mentioned earlier that, you know, when COVID hit, supply chain food and supplies were struggling. Um distributors were in all kinds of sorts of trouble trying to, you know, get whatever food they can get, but then you know, they they were between gas prices, fuel prices, and labor shortages, they were just struck. They didn't know, they didn't know how to pivot from that. And it took a. There's been a lot of changes, um, in broadline distributors since COVID. They had to rethink how they, how they do business to remain profitable. Um, but I know Florida, it's a big, big, big issue. But throughout the country, distribution seems to really, really be, I think, the number one issue facing school pro- programs right now. So. Um, what can you tell us from your experience about what's happening in Florida and and what that looks like nationally with uh, Broadline Distributors?
1: Yeah, so um, like you said, when COVID hit, everything kind of, the brakes went on and and things kind of went crazy. Um, Throughout the pandemic, when we were on lockdown, the only place that distributors were selling and moving products were schools and healthcare. And then as the world started to reopen, that quickly shifted um in schools i don't want to say ended up on the back burner but they they, did quite frankly they're just not the most profitable piece of business and when you're dealing with these these issues and um challenges it it does it ends up on the back burner at the end of the day nobody is in business to lose money nobody anywhere
0: um if you're a chicken producer and there's a limited amount of birds out there you're not going to sell them all to schools at a price that's you know, a half or a third where you can charge the, the market, right? It makes sense. Right,
1: right, right. And especially when you're trying to recoup losses from, you know, the previous year. Um, so our biggest challenge here in the state of Florida was last fall of 2021. Um, what was probably at least one of, if not the biggest school distributor, started to exit the market wherever they could. So 90-day clauses in bids became sorry, we're not servicing you as of 90 days. Um, negotiations happened, that got extended. Um, but the at the end of the day, there was this really large piece of business. And I know that this happens in a lot of markets, it happened in other markets too, but the size of business that it was here um, was tremendous. And it was so much that not one other distributor could pick it all up immediately. Um, and it was a big scramble. And, um, you know, we're we're in a market here that we pretty much have what's now three major school distributors. At the time, it pretty much was the top two. Mm -hmm. Um, And it kind of went down to one and a half. So um, scrambling, everybody's trying to help, um, you know, partnerships were changing. And the biggest key there was that it really needed to be a partnership. Um, while the changes were happening for the school districts, you know, the distributors, they need, they needed to make money too. They couldn't lose money on this business. And probably for the first time in I don't know how long, um, there was no pricing that could keep up with the market. Price changes were happening daily yes. or weekly, you know, and the one year bid contract just could not even possibly be honored, um you know and then enter in the USDA and there were challenges there too there were challenges with commodities um it really just became a big
2: cluster and you know so, Candace what you're talking mm-hmm. about um i believe because we should have mentioned this right from the beginning we talked about how you and i know each other but um you know when i worked in lee county which is the fort myers area of florida just to give you know reference for those who are listening we're talking right now very specific to what happened in Florida and um but i don't think that they were alone in this
0: no but i think they were the right. they were the most egregious well and situation. if you think
2: about florida the way that it is literally just you know shaped the state right So you mentioned that we had really two, and I say we because I worked there, we had two main distributors for the longest time. And it was kind of like one took the East Coast, one took the West Coast, and then the Panhandle and Northern Florida don't even count, right? (laughs) Everybody doesn't even count that as part of Florida sometimes. Um, Mm -hmm. And just to also give some like reference for what that was like, as a county where this is hitting... There's also large co-ops within Florida because Florida's a huge state with a high population, but there's also chunks of very tiny counties. And those counties may only have, like you were talking about your school district that you went to, where they may have one school in their whole county, or they may have three to encompass an elementary, middle, and high school. Whereas if you give perspective, I'm going to speak to Lee County because that's the one I know the best. We have 14 middle schools, 16 high schools, 46 elementary schools in one county. The ability to buy product in for a county like Lee, where we have... 82,000, 98,000, I think now at this point, 98,000 students versus looking at one of the smaller counties who may have 1,400 in their entire county. It becomes really difficult for those small counties to purchase goods at a reasonable price. So these co-ops exist. Now, one of the things that you mentioned is one of those distributors was slowly backing out, not slowly even, I mean, 90 days is nothing. When we put in (laughs) forecasting, you know, three months to six months out, 90 days is nothing for anybody to gear up and be ready to feed their students.
0: So that's 90 days as we're exiting COVID this happened.
2: On top of it. Mm-hmm.
0: And the 90th day being the first day of school. I mean, that puts districts. For some of them, yeah, yeah. for some of them, yeah. Put, put districts in a very, very difficult position.
2: And though, right. those students we're- have to get fed. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, go ahead, go on with what you were saying. But just from some perspective, that's incredibly frightening, knowing you have yeah. to feed your students. Yes. And it was it
1: was like you said, it, it was not a standalone instance in Florida, but it was a really large instance. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that happened to this size anywhere else in the country. Um, and again, you know, negotiations were made and they did get an extension from that 90 days, which is very helpful. Um, but, you know, what districts were faced with was, OK, fine. We'll, we'll service you, and and this could be any distributor. But we need to cut your usage by twenty percent. Was the rumor that was out there? Um, not SKUs or slots or anything. It mm-hmm. was we need to work together. We just need to drop you less less cases.
2: And let's also really point out that this was not just during COVID. After when the waivers were in effect, that no child was to be charged. So you're going yeah. to tell us you're
0: giving us be less able to food.
2: Guarantee less yes. food to us and we're feeding more students. Yeah.
0: I, I know people that yeah. were, and these were generally smaller, you know, 20, 20 schools or less districts um, for months who were purchasing all their goods from Sam's mm-hmm. and Costco. And mm-hmm. I couldn't even fathom that. No. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I mean, even till last year with the supply chain challenges, large districts like Lee County were running to Sam's and Costco and buying all the burger buns they could or, you know, it's the pandemic was far from over even to this point. And our segment, I think, is, is a huge thing the general population doesn't realize. Because, again, you know, I work in this segment, but I'm also a parent just as you are. So. I hear the parent perspective of it. Well, mm-hmm. well, why are kids being served lunch in a plastic bag? Well, you don't realize how hard it was for eight months to get trays or containers or plates or basically anything that came off a shipping container right. from China. Um, you know, So that was just ongoing and, and something that districts had struggled to keep up with too was getting the parents to understand. I Um, I think,
0: I think part of the problem there, Candace, is that, you know, those districts may have just assumed that everybody in the country understood that we were having difficulty getting products, you know, and and that's not the case. And, And here in Greenville, we put out messages regularly like, Hey, here's our menu. It may change tomorrow because we don't know what we're getting tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, districts need to, hopefully they learned a lesson there that uh, whenever we, we go through challenges that, you know, communicating with your stakeholders is extremely, extremely important. Um, both, the, both the people you serve, but also the people that are serving you and that be our brokers and manufacturers and distributors and mm-hmm. the importance of communication um, helped us get through that for sure.
1: Yeah. Yes. Communication. And and again, that partnership with distributors. Um, So what ended up happening was another distributor picked up the bulk of this business. um, And it was really just obviously last minute. Um, And it's again, a scramble, you know, I think by that point we had compliance waivers in place. So it became, well, what do we have in our warehouse that we could sell you? Um, And understandably so. Um, It, you know, I think the waivers were key for, for these issues. Um, And it took time, but for the last, I would say year and a half overall in Florida, it has still been um, learning to fly the plane while in the air. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a challenge to get ahead of that. Um, And I think that it is coming around. um, But I think there is a lot to take away, like you said, regarding communication and that partnership um this customer is a they need a, a partnership with their distributor it's it there's two sides to it you know the like i said the distributor is not going to lose money they just to sell to a school they you can't. can't nobody can nobody's in the business of losing money i mean there's it's just not out there it's not a charity to sell food to schools um right. so it is through and it's been nonstop communication i i can't even tell you how many times i've spent an entire week on the phone five days talking to the same person about the same account you know working through these challenges um and the great side of that is that there does seem to be that agreement for the partnership and everybody's kind of working to find that middle ground Um, and that's why it is coming around for sure but there's a give get there you know um School districts, I think this is the first time that, you know, everybody has to learn to be flexible. And I'm sure most people out there living through this say, I've done nothing but be flexible for the last two years. Um, absolutely. You know, I think we need to continue that momentum to make sure that that, that partnership is there.
2: So, with that um, said, what do you think is the best mm-hmm. advice then to help school districts work with their distributor? so that everybody, you know, so that there's a good partnership between the two so that everybody can win in that situation. What's your best piece of advice for that? You know, it's
1: funny because that number one thing, if you ask me that question, it's going to be forecasting, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it was before the pandemic. And, you know, I think we would all be walking around with blinders thinking that everyone does a good job with forecasting. Um it's just not the case and it's not always easy right you right. don't know how many students are going to eat lunch any day um it, it is it's really a best case scenario and, you know at the same time i know for a fact there are bids in the country that have rolled for 20 years with the same usage on yeah. them you know that that is not accurate data right um in in you, can, you can't be a hundred percent, but I think we could all always be better. Um, and the forecasting piece goes through every layer. It's, you know, a lot of times it's a school telling a distributor their forecast and maybe the distributor is not communicating it to the manufacturer. Um, who obviously needs to know that because they need to make the product and they need to forecast their raw materials um, and they need to forecast boxes. You know, it's always been this link in the chain, And if one link breaks, everything implodes. Um, this is nothing new, but it is more important now.
0: Um, I agree with from that. A uh, school- I agree with that a thousand percent. Um, so yeah. much so that it, we, we've always done a really good job Community because of our size, oftentimes we get to communicate directly with the manufacturer instead of the broker. But we've always done a really good job making sure that the broker, the manufacturer, and our distributor all know what we plan uh to serve. You know, and, and we, we forecast that our numbers change annually. Um uh, we might have been off when uh, a little bit when uh, USDA said all kids eat free and, and we increased by 8%, you know, so but we weren't off by a large number and it's very, very important to do that. And it's, I think it's also very important to have conversations with brokers and manufacturers. You know, I may want to serve a million certified Angus beef uh, quarter pound beef patties this year can you produce those? So I can give you usage all you want, but if, if you can't produce it, it's, it those numbers be nothing. So it when we, when we make those plans with our manufacturers and, and uh, distributors, we make sure first and foremost that can you commit to this? You know, barring any unpredictable things in the marketplace, you know, avian flu and there's no chickens left or turkeys left. But barring any of that, if I tell you I'm going to buy this much, can you actually do it? Um, and if the answer is no, but I could do this, then say, okay, now we got to go back to the drawing board and try to fill that gap. Um, I think, and I don't know, I, I know some districts do a better job than others with this, but I can't express deeply enough how important it is to be a good partner with a manufacturer, with the broker, and the distributor. Knowing first and foremost that yeah, there used to be a thought in school food service that, like, we're going to get the cheapest stuff possible and they're going to hold that price for three years or a year, or whatever it may be. And especially in this, this market we're in right now, and we've gone through um, that's, that's not possible. So I understand that if I expect my distributor to give me what I want and on time and, you know, within the conditions of our solicitations, there's gotta be something for him too. It's gotta to be win. It's not good for me if they break even or lose money. Not going to happen and i think that's why um, a lot of distributors even the one i currently use you know may not go after certain business you know it's just not it doesn't make financial sense for them i mean they're not a government-funded distribution uh business they are a private or publicly held company that has a responsibility to make profits profits that you know are then reinvested back into their business um, back into their employees, back in their facilities. So um, we know that's important. And I don't ever expect a distributor to sell me something that I know is going to be a loss for them. Does it make sense?
2: But you know, I think a, a, an important piece of what you're saying, too, really, and, and some people really don't understand Ooh. this part or don't understand its importance. But it, it, Candace, the role that you're in, I think you would understand so much of what we do here is good communication good relationships, good communication, so you can reach out to these people. You know, I'm very, very fortunate. I feel I work in the best, and I'm not just saying this because Joe is here because I actually think my job is to not inflate his head as much as possible, <laughs> but I work in the best school nutrition program in the in the country. And I have the privilege of working in other places and knowing the struggles and knowing that we're all with the same mission at hand. We're not all in the same boat. And there's so many different pieces that can play into somebody's ability to do or not do certain things with their program that they want to do. But one of the things that I think we can all do is build those relationships with those that are going to be helpful and of service to help us serve our kids, right? And so many people don't think it's important. And um, I came, I was still in Lee County as director in March when COVID hit. So I was there for the first three months of serving from the curb, serving from the buses and the craziness, but I also came here in Greenville at the height of COVID. And getting to see Joe and our team here in action, the most action part piece was speaking with our distributor, a distributor, our brokers, our vendors, our own staff, and making it all come full circle. So a lot of people out in K-12, I think, you know, you get comfortable with your broker. We see you guys frequently. We don't necessarily always see the manufacturer, and we very rarely get to see the distributor. But all three of those people play such a a role in getting food to our kitchens to feed our children. It seems kind of crazy to think that somebody's not going to know who those people are for them. And it's pretty common out there that they don't know the manufacturer or the distributors, right? We rely on the brokers to, to kind of be the glue for us there in that but when it came to COVID and things were so crazy, the other piece is people also have the same mentality. And it's not just in our business. I think it's just human nature. I'm their only customer, right? They, I'm the most important. No, you're not. <laughs> There's thousands <laughs> of other school districts out there who need the same things we need. So the communication piece, the forecasting piece really plays a role in helping us all be successful.
0: I think for a lot of school districts right. around the country, you know, they have been... Like Candace said, rolling over those same bids year after year with the same products on them year after year, so there's really no. It wasn't necessary to put any thought or intention into it. We're gonna roll it over. We're gonna get the super bakery uh, bread. We're gonna roll it over. We're gonna get whatever burger that we've been getting. You know, and and this this event taught us that. Well, you got to be flexible. So we right. we communicate with our with our distributors. Um, multiple times per week, and they've done a really, really good job this year for us because you know we did the work up front. We said this is what we want to do, this is how much we're gonna buy. What's a problem? Mm-hmm. And then we eliminated anything's problem. We don't get too we don't get too invested in any one single item because at any point that can go away. So we, you can't do that. What can you do? How can we make that work in our program? So. Um, yeah. med- Candice, you mentioned communication with brokers and manufacturers is critical, and I think it's the number one thing that people mm-hmm. need to do.
2: It is. Um, yeah.
1: And and have a, you know, the, the second part of that is forecasting, and it's have a backup plan. It's always been said, you know, I've been through recalls, I've been through product shortages, I've been through this pandemic, forecast, and have a backup plan. Um, and. You know, if you are a district that has just rolled your bid, same line, same usage, same everything year after year, maybe you're new, right? That's one thing that we're seeing in this business is tons of turnover, at least I know here, directors and things like that. Throughout the country, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you don't know that, there's no shame in saying, okay, this bid has been rolled over for a hundred years. I don't know if this is accurate chicken nugget usage, um, you know, another piece of the communication that is really key that we're we're doing here in Florida or finding here in Florida is call your neighbor,
2: mm-hmm. call another
1: district, get to know other directors. You know, I I've really only worked in the southeast in, in my career here, um, but I have heard stories of, you know, s- school districts kind of being competitive with one another, which I,
2: it's it's just me, ridiculous. It's,
1: it's it's kind of crazy, right? When you think about it, it's not like a kid is going to hate your food. So they're going to go to a different school next door. <laughs> right. Right. Not an option.
2: They're um, so going to hate your food because you, you
0: don't cook good food. I want to get that out there.
2: <laughs> um, yeah. The only competition is really <laughs> the food that can come from home or the food that can be delivered yeah. from the outside, not another county yeah. that can steal your customer. No, it's not. It's yeah. not.
1: And and that's one thing you know. We all know that you are just phenomenal with is sharing. I mean, I see it every day. Come to Greenville if you want. We'll show you around. We'll give you a tour. We'll tell you what we do. We'll email you our recipes. You know, um, and and that's kind of what it's taking to get through this, especially with the distribution piece. Mm-hmm. Um, is the all the districts that pull out of one distributor really need to to maybe not be on the same page, right? Cause students are so diverse, especially here in Florida. Um, but, you know, they they can help the distributor find a common ground by working together. I think that's for sure. For sure. Um, you know, reach out to your distributor, ask them for a usage report. If you don't know how to get one. Um, They're going to be able to tell you have-
0: exactly what your district purchased last year, <laughs> exactly. and, the year be- yes. and the year before the year before.
1: Yeah, that's a start, you know, and someone else can help you get it written into the bid, you know, take it step by step. Everybody in this segment should be really willing to share.
0: So one of the things I think helped us in Greenville for the past three years, and, you know, we were doing this before, but I think it was extremely beneficial once COVID hit and then as we got through it and then distribution got worse, um, was that we don't rely on k-12 specific products like a lot of districts do and i know they they do it for a variety of reasons because first and foremost the regulations from usda can be difficult to navigate and if you don't have staff or technology to help understand and uh, understand your menu and, and develop good nutritional analysis to make sure you're compliant it's easier to rely on things that are hey this is two and two this has so many calories, so many milligrams of sodium, everything. This this item right here will work within whatever menu mix you use, you know. So I know a lot of districts do that for a variety of reasons. Um, we don't. Uh, primarily the K-12 specific items we use in Greenville are at breakfast. I mean, that's the largest percentage of them. We do use some in our lunch menus, um, but especially during lunch, the vast majority or the majority of those are normal street type items. You know, the, the burgers we buy aren't, aren't made for K-12. As a matter of fact, nobody else in the country buys them. Um, so I, I think programs need to really look at their, their mix and not put all their eggs in that K-12 basket. I, I know when you do that, it allows you to be a little more creative too. Um, and that definitely helped us because when there was critical shortages on K-12 products, in the beginning, a lot of manufacturers just stopped making stuff. And then, you know, when it opened back up a little bit, the ones that were making stuff couldn't supply the whole country. So we were able to, you know, get what K-12 products were out there that, that we could use, but also integrate a lot of uh, street items that, that might be sold to restaurants. And um, that, that's kind of our base here, Um, in Greenville, that's what, that's what we've always done. And it was really beneficial for us,
2: you know, and I've seen it in action where we're working with our brokers and, uh, you know, Joe or Brian will request like, Hey, this is what we're looking for. What do you have? And, um, they'll just send us their K-12, you know, catalog. And it's like, okay, no, 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 no. What do you have? We're looking to be innovative, creative. I'm not looking to compete with the county next to me for the same product all the time. Um, You know, Joe had mentioned earlier about us communicating out how much we think, you know, we're going to need. Are you able to produce it? Yes or no. The other piece of that is the next county next door who's giving – you know, similar numbers or something along those lines. And everybody's trying to make money and everybody's trying to be, you know, as accommodating as they can. If the manufacturers or the brokers aren't honest with us about somebody's ability to do something, well, then everybody's going to end up losing. And now you've just pissed off two counties instead of being honest with one about what you could do. And when we work with our brokers to say like, hey, Outside of that, let's get creative. What can we do? I have found that sometimes it's kind of challenging for our vendors, our brokers, to come back to us with good information because they've also been working with so many counties who are just, I want to know it's going to have this amount of sodium in it no matter what. I'm not looking at my whole week's worth of menu. I'm looking at this specific item. All of my items have to average out to this one number. And it's just not the case. We're looking at weekly averages to be in compliance always. And so I think we do a really good job of that, of going, okay, well, here's something and it might be a little bit high in sodium here, and we're making up for it on the next day where we have, you know, a, a lot of fresh vegetables, fruits, low sodium items out there that by the end of our weekly average, we're always in compliance. But working with our brokers to help us get creative is um, honestly, I think, a challenge out there. And so, Candace, my question to you is, you know, do you get a lot of that from other counties? And if you do, is it a challenge? I do
1: not get a lot of that from other counties, um, and I can tell you where the majority of that comes from when it does come up is it comes from distribution because distribution is trying to make the most of the slots that they have. Mm-hmm. so it's it's a distributor either it's either a customer finding that a distributor has a product or, Um, a distributor not bringing in a product that we're looking at an alternative that's already in stock. Um, It's things like that. Um, But I think that most districts could um, benefit from finding more of those items. And a good way to do that is, you know, ask your distributor when when are their food shows, right? They all do distributor yes. shows just like we do state shows.
0: They never invite um, K-12. I mean, they invite go. us here. Our, our distributor does because yeah. they, they understand. But they don't Some because... Some do in Florida. Yeah. Here's, Sorry. I'm in Florida. Yeah. And- I have a piece of advice for, for directors, and I want to know from you, Candace, if, if you agree with, with this. So... When you worked at distribution, you were on the street side, and you're like, man mm-hmm. I'm scared of that other side, and those guys worked on the other side of the building or across the hall or wherever it was yep. they, they did their thing for your for their customers you did your thing for your customers so what I did with my distributor is is say, "Hey, give me the street guy let's talk to the street guy yeah let's talk to the street guy and we don't have to do that yes. anymore because now it's you know our, our k12 guy and the street guy they all talk together, but you know said let's just talk to him. What does he got? Cause it's, he's going to, he's going to know some things that you don't know that one are probably already slotted, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Fortunately for us, our, our size is very large here in Greenville. We buy a lot of product, but sometimes that hurts us as well because if we want to make a, a major move, I mean, we pull a ton of product. Um, so, you know, sometimes we're limited to whatever they can get in, in slot. But so, would you agree with me, Candace, that a, a good tactic for directors across the country would be getting their K-12 lead in the distribution side to bring in the street side guy in a conversation and say, let's figure out some options?
1: Yes, absolutely. And that was going to be my next point is that I am fortunate enough to work for a company that has a very large presence on the street side, right? So if something comes up and I don't know, I just go to the street guy or, you know, we have corporate chef. I could ask corporate chef. I mean, there there's a lot of different things and there are there are brokers out there that are just really K12 specific. So it's probably more conversational for them for to find what they have, you know, what they need. Um but I have always, you know, I think pre-COVID it was Hey, chef, what's going on? What's a trend in the street segment? What, what's trending right now? How can I make it K twelve compliant? How can I bring this into my segment to get the kids engaged? Um, that was, you know, great conversations. Then I came up with some good recipe ideas that just were a little bit out of the box. Um, and now it's kind of like, hey, give me your stocking sheet. What, you know, what are you stocking on the street side that that I don't, you know, I don't have access to? I need to see it. Um, And just kind of picking through those items, uh, it definitely goes more to the manufacturer, I would say, at that point, because the information that a school generally would be looking for, what's the sodium, what's the fat, what's the, um, a K-12 broker is probably not going to know off the top of their head. The street broker is probably not going to know that off the top of their head either. Um, But if you're in a situation where you could bring them in the school, do it. You know, bring them to the food shows. Bring your street segment people into the school. Just think outside the box. I mean, we 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 stumble upon things all the time that even I don't think of because I'm I'm in that K twelve tunnel now.
0: Yeah, best advice is 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 don't be so laser focused on this K twelve industry because at the end of the day, we are serving food to customers, mm-hmm. and there's mm-hmm. some great, 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 great k-12 products out there that are geared perfectly for our industry and we take full advantage of the ones that make sense for us but it's food it's food And if your district has the ability to do any scratch cooking or even just speed scratch cooking then i think you need to you need to look into those avenues now if your district does not if you don't have the equipment or everything needs to be produced out of a a central facility and distributed to the schools things are going to look a little different so Every district, like Lauren said, has different challenges, whether it be labor or equipment that are going to prohibit them from doing some of the things that we do here in Greenville and and that are done in other great districts as well. Uh, But we all believe that no matter where we are and what our challenges are, that ultimately it's our responsibility to put the best possible food on the plates of our children. We have, we, we all share a mutual friend named Savalenza and he's up in West New York. And um, he loves saying it. He said, man, it's our job to serve food. That's delicious and healthy. It's, it's our responsibility. And he started a hashtag FDH a while ago. And I love yep. it. Shout out to Sal. You're the man um, FDH all day, baby. Yeah, absolutely. I see him with that all the time. FDH. It's food, delicious
1: and healthy. It's, don't overcomplicate it. Um, I see a lot of times on social media, you know, people asking what to do with this product or what that product, what can I make with, you know, what can I make with diced chicken? Well, I mean, look around where, where are your students eating when they're not at home? What are your students eating when they're not at home? Mm -hmm. You know, where are you regionally? Uh, What's, what's the Wendy's feature this month? They're doing a fish sandwich, try a fish sandwich, see if the kids eat it. Um, Mirror that. It's not, it's not rocket science, right? We're feeding kids.
0: It's not. And and I think the best resource resource for districts is the higher education segment in your community. You know, when Mm -hmm. I first took over this position a number of years ago, um, I visited four or five uh, uh, university campus dining halls. Um, I was at Furman. I I went to Clemson and went to Bob Jones and I believe there's another one in there as well. And, you can learn amazing things from those programs, the way they, um, the concepts they have, the way they present and display their food, the trends, because it's incredibly important for those organizations to be on topic and on trend. And generally, most of them are contract management companies that run those university food programs, and, you know, they're backed by billion-dollar companies who do a tremendous amount of research. If they're putting out at a Mongolian bar, kids want to eat a Mongolian bar. So Mm -hmm. my advice to everybody, if you can, visit your local university food hall. You will learn so much. You know, a number, a number of years ago, um, I started putting in uh, Build Your Own Concepts here in Greenville. And that came after a a Many Directions conference trip with me and my friend Ron Jones. We went, I think we were in uh, Memphis at that time. And then through some of these university tours, right, that's what kids want. You know, we we learned the data at um, many directions from from some presentations um, from Technomics. Um, we saw it put in action at the conference, and then we saw it replicated in universities. And today in Greenville, all these years later, these build your own concept bars are still our most popular days, whether they're the Asian bar or the the taco bar, or the pasta bar. We got a number of number more that are in our bag that we're going to come up with. Um, But yeah, that's, that's great advice. Go, go to universities and see how they run their programs.
1: Yeah. I think it's funny that the build your own concept is one of the constants in this world that just has not changed. I mean, 20 years ago, I ran bar mitzvahs and there wasn't one that didn't have a baked potato bar or a candy bar or, you know, some kind of build your own bar. It has not changed. And I think Sometimes what is missed in this business is that, um, the idea of, well, I know my students and they're not going to like that. And I don't discredit that information whatsoever, but I will ask, do you know your students because you're in your schools and you see what the kids want every year? Or are you thinking back to when you did it 10 years ago and it didn't work because, Kids in an elementary school cycle out every five years. In middle school, it's three or four years. In high school, it's four years. So that's a constant change. And, you know, one thing that the restaurant segment sees every year, like you said, with technomics and things like that, is just the change of consumer demand from one generation to the next, right? Um, So... Little things like the build your own bars, that's just a constant. And it, it may be, it may be poke bowls this year and it may have been baked potatoes 10 years ago, but they, they just love that idea. It just doesn't go anywhere.
0: Mm-hmm. Now they, they can come to one of our middle school and high schools on certain bar days, and 20 kids could be lined up next to each other, all have a different lunch off the same bar. Yep. And we're talking mm-hmm. just utilizing a couple different proteins, vegetables, and, and grains. So there's, there, right they're a great way to increase the number of possibilities a can have at lunch. Uh, they're a, gr- yeah. they're a great way for that for sure. Um, yeah.
1: And they don't have to be so labor intensive either. You know, I've seen just pre cupped items. You don't have staff to sit and, and scoop it out, you know, pre cup choices, little things like that. There's so many ways to get creative and make it work for your program, I think. And um, anybody who's in a good area with good brokers and good manufacturer reps, they should they should be able to help them do that.
0: Well, and and like you said earlier, they need to. We all need to communicate with each other and help each other. Um, there's no reason to reinvent the wheel with anything in K twelve. It's not like we're the next up and coming fast casual restaurant that's going to start sweeping cities and putting other schools out of business. We're not. We're here in Greenville. We're going to stay in Greenville, and cool, if we can if we can help Spartanburg or Anderson or anywhere else around us or our friends in Texas who visited us or our friends from Alaska who came. You know, we have people coming from all over. Um, Lauren's going to find out after this podcast. we got people coming from Illinois here um, in a few weeks, uh, would you say? So I think we, we're all in a great position where we can lean on each other. Mm-hmm. But also as we lean on each other, really make some significant changes in school food service nationally. The perception of it is that it sucks, and it's that way for a reason. It's that way for a number of reasons, because, you know, in a lot of places it does suck. In a lot of places they do a really good job, and I think in a handful of places they do an exemplary job. Um, But it's the crappy stuff that gets out there in social media. It's the crappy stuff that gets on Channel 4 News where a kid – bit into a, a raw piece of chicken in their sandwich. That's the stuff that gets out there. And what doesn't get out there from those large, those large number of districts who are doing a really good job, and then the, the smaller group are doing an exemplary job, they're not telling their story. So what's getting inundated in social media and on the news is, you know, thank you, Michelle Obama. They're still saying that. She, you know, Obama's been out of office for a while, now. I can give that up. All right. This is what's out there. Look, look, it's crappy food. That's easy clickbait for people, right? But you know what? Right. There are so many people doing such wonderful work out there in this industry throughout the country who don't tell their story for one reason or another. Maybe just they're just in their silo. They don't care. You know, maybe they don't
2: have the staff. Maybe they don't have
0: the staff, the or they don't understand how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but my experience here is: tell your story. Mm-hmm. If you don't, mm-hmm. somebody's going to tell it for you. And it's not going to be the right story. And, you know, um, Lauren mentioned on her first podcast before she got hired here in Greenville, but she was coming to Greenville. She hadn't announced it yet, that she was at a conference. And, you know, another director who we won't name, Greenville came up somehow and and the director said something like, oh, you mean the district that does all fake stuff? They have a, a fake kitchen where they produce fake food for their social media. And, you know, this was somebody who's never visited us but had you know, collaborated with us on different things in the past. Um, Here's what I know. I don't know if there's anybody more active on social media than us. We're we're, kind of stupid with it. We like telling our story because that story informs our community what we're doing for their kids. That story informs our community about the amazing people that work for us that don't do this for a lot of money. They do it because they love kids. They're doing this amazing work because they love kids. Our people need recognition. Our community needs to be informed about what we're serving our community, right? They mm-hmm. do that. But it also serves to help others. So tell your story. Yeah, tell your I, story. And yeah. I was, here's where I was going to go with that. To your point, to your friend at that conference, if it was fraudulent, we would have been called out for being a fraud. You know, every post we put on our picture is food that's served in our schools. Every video is video of our staff preparing those foods. Now, we got good at it. We got good cameras. We make sure the lighting's right. You know, we make sure we, we put together a whole tray that's representative of what that kid's going to get that day. But it's real. And if it wasn't, our community would hang us and I would have lost my job by now. You cannot promote yourself the way we do here in Greenville and get away with it if you're a fraud. So I had to throw that out there.
2: But I also think that's a really good point because I know some districts who really want to make themselves look good. And You know, we're really fortunate. We have a lot of different digital menu marketing um, companies and apps out there to help our parents and community stay informed of what we're serving from day to day best piece of advice on that is do not use stock footage. Use your real food because people are going to expect what they see in those pictures. And if what you're serving is not the same, you're going to have some very upset customers. And we know they're not shy out there. Uh, They'll go to whatever social media they have access to or the news or whatever and really let it be known. But um, no, be honest, be accurate with your food. And that's the biggest thing about it is you know, we're not only just telling our story to our community, we're telling our story to our employees as well. And part of that story is how much we appreciate them and what they do and that we wouldn't be able to do this without them. And um, I think it builds a great sense of morale around here. I think it also lets our people know we're very proud of them and we want to showcase them. And there's no reason why we shouldn't. They do amazing, amazing work. Um, I don't know how we got onto this from what our what we were talking about with um, customization of, of menus, but um, it all comes around to what does your customer want, and therefore how do you share with them what they can get with us? And I think that that's an important piece of what social media can also do for our students.
0: Indeed, and it also is a is a great vehicle to to connect with others in this industry, mm-hmm. and that's how I met most of the people. Um, either through conferences and, you know, most of them that I met that I'm still friends with today would approach me from social media. So this is not our social media marketing podcast. We're talking about distribution challenges, but we had to get back there. But at the end of the day, we have to make sure that that we're able to put some FDH on our plates. Okay?
2: And, you know, and I think that's an important piece, right? So it's not just that it is nutritious, right? It's got to be delicious. And uh, ooh, I'm a poet and I don't know it, but it really does <laughs> because I've always preached. I don't care how nutritious that menu is, that plate is, if the kid's not going to eat it, it's a waste. It's That's not right. nutritious. So making sure that it is appealing and delicious to our customer is um, is of such high importance. We rely on so much collaboration to find those foods for our students.
0: You know, and I, I think it's also our responsibility to keep pushing the limits of what our our kids think they will eat, you know? So we have to keep putting stuff out there. You know, we have to keep, you know, trying to increase the amounts of fruits and vegetables and whole grains they eat for sure and trying to expose them to new new entrees. But we can't go all in with stuff that kids don't want with the hope that six years later they're going to become accustomed to it. Right. You know, it's our responsibility that, it's hard here in Greenville because we have so many students and so many schools, but it's our responsibility to make sure that we're, we're menuing things that, you know, hopefully any kid who intends to buy lunch that day, is going to be an option for him or her,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, and it's impossible to please everybody, but I do believe we have developed menus that capture 98% of the the wants. Mm-hmm. Um, so, mm-hmm. again, any, is anything more, let's go back to distribute, is there anything more out there that we need to be concerned of, what's on the horizon, what could we expect, um, is the worst of it over,
1: we never, <laughs> we never ask that question. We never say, how much worse can it get? Because then it just kind of has a way to show us. Um, I think it's getting better. I think um, we're seeing a rise of different GPOs and contract management companies coming in um, as kind of being that, that go-to to help the distributor. Um,
0: you see and, more of that in Florida in at this point now with all the challenges you've I'm, had there?
1: We're, we're seeing the push. We are seeing the push. We're seeing GPOs. Um, I don't think we're seeing full contract management companies coming in and taking over entire programs. But we are seeing more of the, you know, hey, jump onto this GPO, um, you know, this contract. And it kind of helps the distributor limit the amount of SKUs that, that they're having to the stock. Um, and it, it kind of it brings everybody in two separate lanes together in the middle. So, you know, that pushes out there, um, bids are time consuming. They take a lot of work and in a world where everybody seems to be short staffed, it takes one thing off of the plate. Um, so that's kind of changing there. They have, you know, contract management companies have their place. They do. Um, they don't, they're not great for everyone, but, but they have their outlet.
0: Um, So I'm going to tell you a story about, my first experience with hearing about k-12 contract management companies i i, I you know I, I never had any experience with them in my prior career but you know i did have friends who who worked in higher education segments with contract management companies so when i first got to greenville a little over 15 years ago you know i was taught to fear contract management companies they were the bad guy who's going to come in there and swoop in and take your business and fire you and come in here. Same. You, know, so you too, Lauren? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was taught they're the enemy. They're the worst. They're no good. Um, you know, so I was, all right, well, I had to sit back and kind of learn for myself. And um, what I learned in the first couple of years was that, yeah, there's a place for them. Mm-hmm. There's a place for them. Uh, Districts who have no capabilities of putting on a quality program by themselves, there's a place for them. Uh, What I've never seen in my over 15 years of this business, I've never seen a financially successful school food service program who served outstanding food to their kids switch to contract management. You know, and that was... That you know, when I first got here, that was one of the things. They're, oh, they come in at any minute and take you over. Why would a district who has their own employees doing exemplary work, serving rock star food, not taking any money from the district's general fund, but yet contributing, you know, their portion back to the general fund? Why would they ever consider that? And I'm sure maybe there's a situation out there where they did that for one reason or another, but I've never seen it. So. Now, contract management companies are not the bad guy. Now I've seen some that do outstanding work that I'd be incredibly proud to work for them. And I've seen some do really crappy work. Oftentimes those were within, you know, the same organization in different districts. Um, But you know, the same thing goes for self-op programs. I know some that do an outstanding job and I know some that don't do an outstanding job. So you know, for, for our listeners, don't be contract management haters. If you're a self-op district and you want to keep them out, do a good job.
1: Mm -hmm. I think that's the key. If you see the writing on the wall and you don't want that, then do better, fix it, do better. better. And, and the answer to that, when you say, well, financially run, which is, it's a huge thing. And it's not even in K-12, it's in restaurants too, is that, you know, to be, Financially successful, you do not have to buy the cheapest product. Um, you should that, not. Buy that's the a number one mistake in most cases. <laughs> What's that?
0: You should not, in most cases, purchase yeah. the cheapest possible products yeah, if you want right. to serve I mean, the best food.
2: If you want to serve the right. best food and get the repeat customers because the more meals you serve, the more reimbursement you're going to get, and you're going to be more financially profitable anyways. Yeah. So thinking you're saving on the pennies over here but not providing quality product that somebody's going to want makes no sense at all.
0: It's it's right. There's a science in school food service menu engineering that allows us to serve pretty expensive, unique products – Balanced off with high quality, affordable products. Mm-hmm. There, there's a science mm-hmm. to that, and it's no different than your your Applebee's franchises use. You know, there's science behind and, their menu prices and how they, and how they really, if you get down to that, if you get down to them, I mean, there's science of how they put that menu on a piece of paper. Yeah. Your eyes are being directed one way or another. Um, so there's a lot of science that goes in it. You don't have. To, I mean, there's a there's a there's a place for inexpensive quality products in school foods and school food service and there's a there's a place for some higher quality more expensive things if you're able to understand uh, menu engineering properly so
1: at the end of the day you bring money to the bank not cost percentages and that was the number one thing we heard from restaurants oh but my food cost has to be 30 percent okay that doesn't mean it has to be by item that's Right. right and yeah. I mean, you know, you have to look at the dollars you're making at the end of the day. That's really where you see it. If you're selling high quality items and you're selling more of them, they cost you a little more. That's okay.
0: It is, it is, it is. Um, I think we're getting towards the end of this podcast, Candice, anything else you want to normally, I, normally I end the podcast with a, with a call to action, but lately I've been asking our guests to do, um, give our listeners some advice. So, um, If you could give our listeners one last piece of advice that may help them improve communications with distributors, brokers, and manufacturers, you know, that hopefully will result in mitigation of some of these distribution problems.
1: Uh, I'd say that would be be open-minded. Realize that the future does not look like the past. And pick up a phone. Mm -hmm. Pick up a phone and call and ask and never be afraid to ask a question to a distributor, to a broker, to a neighbor. Reach out. Reach out to anybody, you know, social media, whatever you have to do. Just just ask.
0: I think that's great advice. I think it served us very well here. I think it's more important today than it was three years ago. And it's probably going to continue to be more important as we move on, because this this industry is. Facing a lot of unknowns, I think, at this part. Um, so yeah. that's going to do it for today's podcast episode. Candace, thank you so much for joining me and Lauren on the podcast today. It was so much fun. Um, it was informative, and, and hopefully other programs are going to uh, get something out of this.
2: And unfortunately, you didn't mess up, so I can't hold it over your head. Uh, but our <laughs> listeners
0: will never know if we didn't edit all our messed up parts out of here. Fair. But here's what I can say. Um, if anybody was betting on the over under, under one huge inside joke and it was not edited at all. So I think that was pretty good. You deserve an award. Yeah. I put all my money on the over though. So
2: Um, can I have an award too, please? You want a cookie? Or a piece of yes, paper. I mean, one way or the that'd other, we'll get it for you. Fine. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter.
0: No, you, Thank you, you guys
2: so much for having me. I
1: appreciate it.
0: That was incredibly fun. And that's going to do it for today's episode of School Food rest Podcast. So till next time, let's go.